HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. This week on Meet and 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade. From the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market. You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line. You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, what is for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I am lucky to be joined by Keanu Moju, who is a Los Angeles-based culinary producer, director, and on-screen personality. She's also the founder and principal of Jaconi, which is one part creative studio, one part community-based food site and educational platform, and one part digital magazine. She was previously a producer with BuzzFeed's culinary video vertical, Tasty. If you are not already following Keanu on social media, check her out at Keanu Moju as you listen to this episode. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Keanu. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Hello, hello. I Any excuse to chat about food, I'm like, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. So the vibe is obviously, you know, what's for dinner. And I have so many questions for you about like your culinary inspirations and how you kind of have painted your culinary picture. So let's start out by talking um, about your childhood, like what was kind of did you grow up cooking? Like, how did you kind of learn to cook? Who did you learn to cook from? What is kind of your whole story there? Yeah. So I have to say really quick, my first food blog was called Culinary Inspiration. So yes. so funny that you would <laughs> ask it in that way. Um, but I started cooking really young. It Honestly, it started with like, you know, my mom would make food and she would pop me up on the counter with her. Oh. Um, 
especially like when making things like my mother's Kenyan. So like our flatbread, which is chapati, and she'd, you know, give me a little piece of dough. And most kids will, you know, do the thing, get bored of it and like, you know, want to come down and, you know, go off. But I wanted to have my dough get on the stove, make it to the table. I think I just basically annoyed my mother um, <laughs> because I don't think mine were very good. But I, I had interest from a really young age to do the entire process. Um, and so around age seven, my mom had put me in my first cooking class. It was a oh, big wow. Bay area. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the Bay and there was a cooking camp. It was like in some house in Berkeley and we learned how to make dishes from all over the world. And like at the end of the camp, we had a big luncheon for our like families and I just kind of stuck with it. So it became my like other extracurricular. Like I always played sports as a kid, but then anytime there's a cooking class program, my mom put me in it. So I learned all those fundamental cuts and knife skills from pretty young so I have like a little bit of formality with how I cook, but the food that I make and like the flavors and all of that is not really from training, but pulled from like family and from traveling. My grandparents um, have a ranch on a mountain, mountain in Kenya. And wow. so every other summer, you know, like we have those like three months from like school and our parents are like, what do we do with you? Um <laughs> So my mom, I mean, she would come too, but we would go to my grandparents' ranch. And it was nice because even though she was with me, she didn't have to look after me because my entire family was there and we're pretty isolated. And so I would just run around with the animals, helping my grandma prepare lunch. And we have such a traditional uh, Maasai family. So making lunch meant gathering firewood, making a fire and, you know, all those process. And because there's literally nothing else to do, there's no cable, there's no Wi-Fi, no video games. That's what I spent my time doing. And it was so much fun for me. So I, I've learned, you know, in the classroom as well as, you know, it, honestly, in the village. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's amazing. And like, talk about kind of I mean, yeah, you hear about people starting from a young age, like you were like a little childhood, like, cooking prodigy, like going to cooking camp and like cooking with your family. That's so cool. I love that. That's adorable too. <laughs> so what were some of the like dishes that you grew up like? Was it like a lot of traditional Kenyan um, dishes that you grew up learning how to make or eating? Like what was some of the kind of staples in your home as a child? Yeah. So for my childhood, I felt like I had just like many homes, just depending on what time of year I was in. And each of those homes had their own like sub culinary culture. So when I was at my grandparents, it was pretty strictly traditional food. Plus like I would pack, my mom would pack ramen for me. Cause like, you know, anyone knows this when you travel and you're going to like, you know, maybe rural areas, your body takes some time to adjust. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had my little ramen packs for my first couple days. Um, but after that, I would just eat whatever, you know, dishes that my grandma was making, which was a lot of chapati, a lot of like braised and stewed dishes. And then on Sundays to this day, we always do a barbecue um, where we do it. it's open fire, everything's smoked. Um, it's really like it's as fresh as it comes because we have a ranch. So 
it it was really really great but then in my mother's home in America maybe it was like Kenyan food like a couple weeknights on the weekend but we ate everything my mother came to America uh I think her final years of high school when she was 17 and had a host family so she learned a few dishes from them and she would continue to make that so she always made like a flank steak with like a mustard sauce and capers and oh it's so good Yum. and yeah so it was a mix of things and then my dad is Nigerian and is a really big cook so when I would go to his house he would make his food and the part of Nigeria he's from is Delta State which is you know on water so a lot of seafood which heavily contrasted my mother's rancher family which was like red meat central and then my mm-hmm. dad is like fish 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 so i grew <laughs> up literally depends on the household i ate a whole lot of things oh my gosh so what were some of the seafood dishes that are cuz i'm not unfortunately super familiar with nigerian or kenyan food like what are some of those other dishes that you had on when you were with your dad yeah, I never, it's so funny. I don't think I ever actually saw my dad cook because he would do it while we were like away at camp or something. Then we come back, there's food ready. Yes. And it was a lot of Nigerian soups. But when I say Nigerian soups, they aren't of that, you know, more watery fluid texture of like a European Western soup. It would be more akin to what Western people would say is like stew in texture. You know, mm-hmm. they're like very viscous. Like there's a lot of, vegetables taking up real estate in there and they're flavored with maybe like dried fish dried shrimp dried crayfish and then maybe we'll have some protein on the side or it can be like it's those fish dried fish protein flavor and then like fresh vegetables added into there um so yeah it's a very different flavor compound i think the some of the dishes are like a lot more complex because they're using you know, more preserved things where my maternal side, it's pretty much everything is fresh, like freshly slaughtered, freshly picked. Oh boy. Where, and it, it really shows to you of like the different landscape, agriculture, and like traditions of like how one culture is really into preservation versus one that is like, we just take what we need for now because we don't have preservation techniques for storing. So every, the culinary culture runs on a, a fresher side. That's fascinating. And when you, you know, obviously growing up here, were you kind of educating your friends and then as an like going into an adulthood colleagues about because a lot of people don't know all of, you know, the ins and outs of culinary and culture, you know, of these different African cultures? Like, was it kind of part of your goal in life to kind of educate those people you knew in the States about all of this? Because I'm like fascinated. I'm like, this is so cool. I think I always just cooked what I knew, what I was interested in. I I don't think there was a chapter in life when I was never cooking. Even when I went to boarding school in New England, I found my way into helping in the dining hall. And in college, I had my own apartment and I would just make that same mix of food and invite my friends over because I'm not eating at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always too much. And I so much of my joy is cooking for others. The idea of like cooking just for myself, I can be as lazy as I want to on a weeknight because I'm like, it's just for me. But if I'm like having friends over, you know, and you want to make like a dinner party, I would always do it around a theme. I love a theme because it it one, it takes something out of that normal day to day and it makes it special. 
But then on the other side, I just want any excuse to dress up. (laughs) So I would have really, you know, fun themes that not only gave me a great excuse to have friends over and cook, but we got to be dressed up. And so with that theme, whether I knew it or not at the time, especially in college, I would have many friends, especially who grew up in different you know, parts of the country. It's a beautiful thing about college campuses mm-hmm. is that it brings together all kinds of people. And I'm just making them, you know, dishes that I know or dishes I've learned along the way. And they were like, oh, I've never had this before. And later on, like people would ask me, oh, how did you make that one thing? I really liked it. I want to try it myself. And that's how I ended up started food blogging is because I would make for people. They're like, I've never had food like that. I've never tried. And it would be a mix. It would be the French stuff I was making, the Kenyan and Nigerian stuff I was making. They were like, how do I do it all? Um, And so I started my first blog in college just as something to communicate back to my friends who came over for my dinner parties of like, oh, this is just like kind of like a little keepsake almost, but like a a digital one. (laughs) Yes. No, and then so you were really on the cutting edge of, you know, food blogging. And that was, you know, you got in at the right time, obviously. (laughs) I did it. um, But I I stopped blogging because blogging was not, I don't know. At the time, once I left college, it wasn't really my passion. I kind of felt like I was just like, it was almost felt like public journaling to me and I'd never kept a diary or journal. I, I learned later that my joy in it was like the teaching and the fact that they were like, I don't know. And I'm like, Oh, I can show you. That was the part I loved. And that's what kind of attracted me to more to food media because food media was a little bit more on that, like, you know, teaching show and tell. And I felt like a blog is just like a little bit more personal and me centric where food for me is always been like, it's everyone's stuff. And I'm so curious about what I'm making, but I'm also, I want to learn from other people. Um, And that's how I kind of made the pivot to retiring my blog. It it doesn't exist online. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to, yeah, I was going to look that bad boy up. No, it's, it's erased. Oh, this is before I've learned photography proper. Um, It's gone, scrubbed clean. um, But that's kind of how I made my pivot to food media. Very cool. So in food media, I mean, your company, Jaconi, is very centered around kind of that education aspect. And so that must be something that you're incredibly passionate about to kind of tell me your story with starting your own company to, you know, that's so centered around that. I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah, I've always been entrepreneurial in spirit. I went to do my master's in publishing in London because I knew I wanted to start a company in the space, but was smart enough to know that there's probably a lot I didn't know. Um, And so by doing the course, it was really to find the goal of understanding the landscape of publishing so I can find the home that I wanted to make in it. And through the course and through after graduating, I worked for BuzzFeed Tasty for two years. The gaps that I saw in the space became very, very, very apparent. And it was that there wasn't space for everyone and everyone's voice in it, Mm -hmm. in the media space. And blogging, vlogging, all the individual, you can do whatever you want. And that's why I love the internet. Like no one's stopping you. But there was so much gatekeeping I was finding for a 
variety of reasons between the publishers and the platforms and what the goals and priorities were. And I really found that they just didn't really align much with people who are just wholeheartedly passionate about food and culinary education and the stories that can be told. Because if that were true, surely everyone would know about all these great things that, for whatever reason, most people don't know. And it's sad to say that I can confidently walk up to any stranger on the street and being like, hey, do you know five dishes from the continent of Africa? Not even a country, but the whole continent and be like, no. Where I'm like, how how does there such a big gap in this knowledge base, especially for people who are just really passionate about wanting to know what delicious things are there to cook? Um, And so that's where I decided for Jaconi that I wanted to build a space where people could share those passions, can share their stories so that they can not only, you know, have room, but then also those of us who want that information, are excited to get it, um, know that we're not just getting it, but getting it from, you know, the right source. And that's always been, and it took, it took time for me to get there. Um, having, being first generation, um, American and having, you know, especially with my maternal side, Maasai people are publicly, it's, it's almost like we're part of the tourist industry for East Africa as a people. And I always say they not geo my people. And it's so much of a narration and like, this is what these people do. Look at what they do. Look at what they eat rather than it's a sharing coming from the people themselves and those people showing you and inviting you into their home as it normally would happen in life. And somehow in media, it became a different kind of relationship. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do with Jaconi is, you know, give space for people to not only share their stories and food and recipes, but also have an active hand in how those are told. It's amazing. And I'm like, so impressed by everything you've done and congratulations on kind of getting that up and launched and, you know, accomplishing what you've accomplished. I'm sure it was no easy feat. So very, very excited to learn about kind of like how you did it and the inspiration behind it. Cause it's, you know, it's just fantastic. Um, so anyway, tell me <laughs> how has your cooking style evolved over time? I know you kind of talked about being in college and cooking for friends. And then obviously you graduated and became an adult and we're cooking, you know, on camera. Like, so how has this, you know, how has this style of yours kind of evolved? I'm sure, you know, you've become better over time too and more professional. Yeah, I I think I've definitely had a culinary evolution at first, you know, when I started when I was much younger, I was very into and I'm still very much this day, I'm great at following instructions. And it drove my mother crazy because she's a lot more of a free spirit improv person. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, the book says do it this way. You need to put this exact amount. And so I started that way of like being a devout recipe follower. Um, But I've always had a math science brain. So like my second step as a cook was now questioning everything. Wait, why are we using this? What job is it doing? And then once I started looking at recipes not with scrutiny, but like with the deeper understanding of like what role each ingredient posed to that recipe is when I really started, it it gave me the freedom to interpret because now I could change things confidently. You know, I can be like, oh, that's why we're adding vanilla, but I don't want that taste today. And this is where I can swap that out. So I started, you know, 
building dishes that maybe were things that I loved maybe as a consumer, or, but they weren't fully me. And with home cooking, it's the thing I love about home cooking is that there are no rules. You don't have to really stick within bounds when you're cooking for yourself. And I was able to take a foundation of what I grew up with and what I loved, but tailored it more to my taste, tailored it as I became more aware of more ingredients and of different cooking techniques. And they kind of just started layering on top of each other um, until I've found my own culinary identity where I'm like, I have a foundation of really like anyone, the foods I grew up with, but as well as the foods that I've learned along the way and through my travels and through the dishes I experienced through my family culture, pulling elements of that into my everyday cooking. And because it's true, I, I cook in a style that I call Africali because it's literally what I am. <laughs> I started cooking class in California, Berkeley, spending summers in, you know, Kenya. And it's honestly everything else around the way. Like I've lived in Europe and New York and I've eaten a lot of delicious things, but instead of trying to always replicate and duplicate. It's like, what is that one thing I really liked in this dish? And then adopting that into my day-to-day cooking style. Yes, Africali. I love that. What what does an Africali dish look like? Like what's one of your signatures? Ooh, I do a lot of braising. Braising, I feel like is a very, very, very classic, you know, French cooking technique that isn't really traditionally done too much like in either of my parents side cultures you know they each have very different ways of cooking meat but I incorporate braising into how I cook a lot of what could be seen as traditional food so searing the meat at first taking it out building you know flavor through aromatics adding a liquid and then bringing the meat back in And then that way I'm able to have something that's flavorful, but also texturally tender Mm -hmm. because the taste of how Western we like our meat to be like super, super soft is like the antithesis of like how a lot of like West African meats are. Like I I remember the first time I learned how to make um, a Nigerian dish, like it had to do with beef at my dad's house and I went back to my mom's house, made the dish exactly how I did it. And my mother was like, please never cook meat like that again. Oh my God. <laughs> she, she, But like, cause we come from ranchers. So they're very precious and they have different styles and tastes. And I'm sure like if I cooked meat for my Nigerian family, the same way that we do Kenya, it just doesn't match where with the braising technique, I feel like you can meet in the middle where you can have meat that's tender, maybe not like melt in your mouth because that's the the Maasai in me. I don't like melt in the mouth, nothing. I like to chew my food. I have teeth. They're great. I like to use them. Um, (laughs) But also I don't want war on my plate. Like I don't need to be chewing something forever and then be in search of a toothpick for the rest of the day. Um, So by incorporating this technique I learned in school forever, braising, I can incorporate that into my the flavors that I know and love. So I did uh, for Christmas this year. We did a braised short rib, but in a traditional Nigerian um, tomato and red pepper stew. Yum. So I did the stew base the same way I learned forever ago, and then braised the short rib separately, added it back into the pan, 
And I was able to use a little bit less oil than the recipe traditionally calls for because short ribs are so fatty. And because it's going to slow cook and render out, the oil will do its job in caramelizing that sauce and creating a deeper sweet flavor. And so it, it's it's something like that where I'm like, all right, the meat this way is not for me, but the flavors are great. And so let me bring these two techniques together and create a dish that would be an Africali dish. Oh my gosh, that all sounds amazing. I'm I'm going to get a one-way flight over there and just move in because <laughs> <laughs> that all sounds awesome. Well, quickly, we're going to just take a break and hear from our sponsors. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected, and I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com. So um, tell me, Kiana, what are some ingredients that you always have in your kitchen? My pantry essentials, honestly, my spice cabinet is so precious to me. I love my salts. I have, I think, about almost 10 kinds of salt in my cupboard. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I, I love them. They all have a different flavor compound, and salt is, everyone says, like, salt is a flavor enhancer, but it's so true. But certain salts carry their own flavor, and I love the flavor of certain salts. Like most cooks, I love Meldon salt. I honestly feel like I learned it separately and thought I like found something out while living in London. I lived in London twice. I my first time was in 2012, where I was introduced to salt because there it's really cheap. Like I'm talking about 150 a box cheap. What? Yeah, it's just there because it's grown um, or you can't grow salt, but it's like harvested, harvested. How do you make salt? But it's manufactured and made um, in Essex, which is a suburb right outside of London. So it's pretty much super local there. So it doesn't have all those like extra costs of, you know, shipping and import, all that. So when I just go to my grocery store, it'd be the salt there. And I'm like, this is a pretty box. I'll buy that. And I thought I like discovered like the new fan thing came back to America, it was in like every magazine. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I you really like, thought. I found it on my own. I found it on my own and I, I love it. And I feel like a lot of, funny enough, and this is like a myth debunker, I will not speak or advocate for British cuisine because I don't know enough about it. Oh, well, that's where I come in. I'm actually very British, so we can join forces. I'm like London because I I, there's there's a little bit of a a skepticism when we're like, how good is British food? I'm like, I'm not going to get into that. But London food is incredible. Yes. Like the Indian food they have there, like amazing. 
the Lebanese food they have there, the Nigerian food they have there, like the French pastries, like it's just like a, it's everybody. It's like all the best cooks in the world just like congregated and offered it. And so a lot of the flavors and things that I cook with today in my spice cabinet, I learned from going to those markets in London. Um, and so my mild and salt is key for me. There's a Harissa company, I think also based out of the UK called Balazu. And I first got introduced to their Rose Harissa and it, it's incredible. But then now I've learned they have a whole collection. So there's an apricot Harissa and Ooh. all these things. And the reason why I say my spice cabinet is a foundation for my cooking is because I really am a non-fussy cook. And so I'm like, if I have things in here that all carry great flavor, in theory, it shouldn't have a tasteless meal ever. So I make sure the flavor is always on deck and I, I keep things in my pantry that are quick ways to insert flavor without like being too fussy. So I like having, you know, the good salts that taste great on their own little, I don't buy too many sauces, but those harissas, because you can use them to like in your marinade, you can use them in the middle of cooking after you're done, like they can live in every step of your meal. Um, and they're so complex in flavor and they're not that spicy because I can handle like a five, six on a good day. They're just incredibly flavorful. Yes. Um, and I make my own spice blends. That's the biggest one for me. I will sit down, you know, like maybe like once a quarter until like when I see my spice blends getting low and I'll make a spice blend for baking. I'll make a spice blend for like my meat dishes and just like anytime I'm cooking, just a little open it up, a little spoonful of here, spoonful there. And I'm like, I'm good to go. That is genius. What are some of your spice blends? Like what, what's the baking one? Is that kind of like cinnamon and stuff? Like what are these blends all about? There's a little bit of, it's a little bit of everything in there, but it's anywhere. It's cinnamon, there's cardamom, a little bit of ginger. Um, it's for me, anywhere that you have like a cinnamon plus, at cinnamon and friends, I, I use this blend. So carrot cake goes in there, all the pumpkin things in there. If I'm making some chai tea, which is a huge thing in Kenya, a little pinch of that goes in there. So yeah, any baking thing that can generally be spiced, I just use that spice blend and instead of like measuring out all the teaspoons back and forth because I hate washing dishes. Yes. So you're kind of creating, so you're also the an OG with the pumpkin spice too. You're like, oh, I just, I made that. <laughs> no, the pumpkin spice is too cinnamon. Personally, it's too cinnamon forward for me. Um, but it, so this is in lieu of, so if I have a recipe that looks good to me and it calls for pumpkin spice, I'll use my one instead. Okay. So it's pumpkin spice, but way better. We'll call it that. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, that's a, that's a really good like tip for, you know, home cooks in general is kind of like having spice blends on deck. It's not something that a lot of people think to do or, you know, set aside the time to do, but, and it's, it sounds like a great idea to kind of cater to what your, you know, favorite flavors are. Cause like what you're describing, like, yeah, I love ginger and everything, but not everybody does. So it's kind of unique and you can kind of customize the type of stuff that you have to cook with easily. Well, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to do that. So it's, it's the best thing I've adopted into my cooking. All right. Well, consider it done. <laughs> so tell me, Keanu, who inspires you? In the kitchen or in where? 
I guess wherever, like in your, you know, career wise, cooking, you know, who inspires you, wherever you, wherever you think. See, I'm, I'm going to give a atypical answer. Okay, let's do it. I find inspiration when I see, because here's the thing, like, you know, like you have an idea and you're like, oh, this is the best idea ever. And then you see a simulation of your idea out in the world after. It can yes. be like for me as a producer, it can be like a show. It can be whichever, especially when the ideas lived in your mind a lot. When I have those moments, I feel extra motivated because it tells me that my ideas don't suck. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like someone got there first. It, for me, it's like, yep, you're on the right track because something that you've been thinking about or dreaming about, like when I see it manifest and I can see the way people like gather around their build community around it, I'm like, okay, yep. We're, we're on the right path because there I get signals. So that's like my, it in, inspires me to see peers. Like it's, it's, I feel like it's such backwards thinking because like it can be very defeatist where you're like, oh, I wanted to be that person or like I, I wish it was me or whichever. I just find it incredibly motivating. Like, because it, it shows me of like, okay, this is real because I'm seeing it and it, it can be real. Um, So that is like, I feel like always gets me the most fired up and like motivated. That's so cool. Yeah, no, it is kind of backwards. A lot of people see it, see it the other way where if someone is doing something that they wanted to do or someone has gotten to a place or in a, a level of success that they were shooting for themselves and they're like, oh, it's too late. Like, forget it. But you see it the other way, which is very interesting and very, you know, kind of inspiring to me to hear and for probably a lot of people to hear that, you know, if people are doing or you you know you see people doing what you want to do get to work exactly unless someone has like your whole like they're straight up your clone that you didn't know about it'll never be quite the same you know our cut this world is huge and I, I believe there's space for everyone and I really hope that we start moving forward of knowing that someone else's success does not take away from your potential like at all I just take it as a signal of like, okay, other people do care about this. Great. And, you know, use as motivation, inspiration. That is truly what you, <laughs> the question is, who inspires you? Well, you're inspiring me <laughs> and other people now. So really flipping the script. Or do you have any like kitchen culinary inspirations that you look up to? Um, As far as food inspirations, I like, I have like my food media, like idols, people who I think are like, awesome for different reasons um and for me I funny I did this on like on my um IG like stories the other day it's um a lot I love the UK just food presenters as well because they bring such like a casualness to cooking and like I really feel like it's so real and doable so I love Nigella um I think Jamie Oliver has built something incredible with the way he's presented food for what is it like 20 30 years yeah forever <laughs> literally Since forever um but then like I also would have to give like a culinary shout out to the person who even like made my brain think of like do I want to do this one day which is Emeril Lagasse and it wasn't even his food I can honestly say like I think I've made a couple of his recipes but it was the energy and culture he built around cooking and food, his show made cooking look like the coolest social activity on the planet. It looked like a bull. Like I would, I just wanted to be in that crowd so bad. He'd like 
whip something up and hand it to someone who was sitting around him in that little like setup. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the dream. Like you're so right on that. Yeah. So those are like my media inspirations. Like my restaurant chef one would be um, Gannett. She's a chef restaurant owner here in LA. She owns a place called Meals by Gannett and one, her food is incredible. She's so gracious and joyful and literally is my grandma's doppelganger. And I'm like, are you sure you're not? Um, she is but she has such a great work-life balance like she only has a restaurant open the end part of the week so she can spend the early half with her family and her grandchild because she's like this is what's important to me and like that's so inspiring seeing like a woman entrepreneur who can be successful create a beautiful product create great community but also like really put hard lines on work-life balance so um as far as like my culinary those are my Those are some good ones. I love that. Those are really good ones. And how often do you grocery shop? An interesting question for you. Um, Like four times a week at least. (laughs) I'm like a micro shopper. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm using it as if it is, where I can't do the big haul. The big shopping cart never been for me. Um, and I think this is because I've lived in so many cities and London did this to me because anytime I bought too many groceries, I had to carry it home. So I adopted a thing of like, I just buy what I need for now. Um, just cause I hate carrying things. And also I found it helps me reduce food waste because it allows for more spontaneity of like, oh, maybe I'll pop over to my mom's house for dinner pre COVID of like, I can go out to dinner with friends and not feel guilty that I'm wasting food at home. So, and I've also, I have to preface, I live a two minute walk from a grocery store. Um, so it, I, I just buy what I need. And then so I, I go often. Yeah, that sounds like the move because I find myself kind of in that same boat where you're like, oh, like, I need to use this, but I can't like, I don't have a reason to. And um, yeah, I mean, if you have the time and bandwidth to kind of do what you're explaining, obviously, if you have a family or you're cooking for many people, it's a little more difficult. But um Sounds oh, 100%. Like- this will change when I have more people responsible for it than just myself. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> jumping off of that, so how do you approach what's for dinner each night? I know you kind of talked about if you're cooking for just you, you don't really take it that seriously. So like what is your kind of approach for getting dinner on the table every night, even if it's just for you? I have I have two approaches to dinner. I Sometimes I plan. I can see I, I love cookbooks my cookbook shelf, I just had to reinforce it with more brackets because it was starting to lean over. <laughs> they're, they're really heavy. They're not like the little paper. Oh, novels, no, so. no. Yeah, they're legit. <laughs> we need a reinforcement. Um, so now it's all ugly because it needed a lot of brackets. But so I, I'll flip through and just see a dish in there. And I'm like, oh, we need that. And because I'm really big on traveling. So I've been traveling through my cookbooks lately. Oh. Um, it's so great. I am so grateful to the internet where I'm, I was going through my bookmarks. So like on Instagram, I have like bookmarks of restaurants I see in countries I want to visit and seeing which of these restaurants actually have cookbooks. So, but, and then just buying them. Some of them took like, I had one that took like a month to get here, but okay, it's, it's fine. But it's so awesome with all these restaurant cookbooks because now I get to experience somewhat um, that dining. So when I'm, that's more of like a, an occasion thing where I'm just like, okay, time to treat myself. Um, 
and then pull off like one of these international cookbooks and like make the dishes a couple from the restaurant that I will one day go to, but can't for a while. So that's one way I approach my dinner. And then the other one is I really just run off of cravings. Um, and if I, if I want something, I'm very like the clear vision of what I want. And so I end up making it myself. Um, so that's like, I guess there's three. So I'll go off that and just make what I want. But then the other one is like a fridge forage. They say it's more for lunch for me than dinner because I've adopted this like weird like 4.30 lunch habit. Oh, and so same. For dinner, I'm like snacks. So it's all topsy-turvy, but this lunch is really a dinner, but a, a early bird dinner for me. And that is like straight up fridge forage. What do I have here? I'm hungry. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and just kind of like doing a fridge scan math and it's created some of my most favorite meals. Like yesterday I did fried chicken sandwiches cause I looked, I saw buttermilk. I saw some yes. chicken thighs that were thawed. Um, and I was like that, that, that's a thing. Yeah. There's consider it done. Keep buns in the freezer. Um, cause I, you know, live by myself and I sell buns in packs of eight. So yep. the buns <laughs> take one and put in, put the whole bag in the freezer. Um, and then I made, Last week, I, I still need to like figure out a name for this. That's another thing. We've somehow stopped naming dishes. That's true. It's so weird, but I'm just like, it, it sounds like the most fun thing in the world is like to create a new dish and like give it a name. But it's now it's like all S. I think the internet ruined the fun because it's all SEO driven. So it'll be like chicken with apricots and like arugula <laughs> and I don't, like it's like a sentence, it's not a title. <laughs> That's so, so true. I'm going to come up with a name for this one, but I had made, um, based out of other fridge forage, this, uh, what is it called? I, Menetabish, I'm, I'm really bad pronouncing this, but it's an Ethiopian spice ground beef um, that has some berberet, fenugreek, some nigella seeds, which are black cumin. And then it's, you add in later, uh, a spiced clarified butter that I make in batches with just some cardamom and turmeric. So it, it, once again, having things in my fridge, that can instantly add flavor. And so I had leftover of the beef and I had eaten it with injera, which is the Ethiopian flatbread I keep in my freezer, but I finished it all. So I just have this container of ground beef. That, that's what I had. And I opened the pantry and in front of it was a thing of orzo pasta. And I'm like, it's kind of like rice. So sure, that, that's what we're doing. Cook it. And normally I am a non-pasta strainer. I will take like a sieve and like pull the pasta out and drag the water into my pan with my sauce. Ooh. But because orzo is so small and I didn't want to be fishing it out for 10 minutes, I just drained it without thinking of saving pasta water. So I added in, but now I have this like, dry orzo coated in like spiced ground beef. And I'm like, okay, uh, we, we got to work here. Cause if I eat dry food, I will have instant hiccups. I don't know why oh. Maybe it's real. it happens without fail every time. So I'm like, this needs liquid. This needs sauce. Go back <laughs> in the fridge, look in there. I'm like, what liquid can I add to here? That's not water. Cause it sounds pathetic. And I see milk and I'm like, okay, milk, look in the drawer. There's some, I have a cheese drawer. Um, and there were like two, it was like a little pack of shredded cheddar cheese. I'm like, that's where we're going. And inadvertently made an Ethiopian spice hamburger helper. Literally, that's, that's what that's I was what thinking. That's what we did. I was, <laughs> and it was literally thinking, that. oh my God. It was so good. Like this is a food that like, 
if I could hop in a time machine, rewind and just take this plate with me and like slide it on the dinner table while I was eight years old, honestly, this would have changed my entire culinary philosophy early on. Oh my gosh. So you are just like breaking boundaries in this kitchen of yours, like whipping up crazy things. (laughs) That is so cool. But that's, that's, so that's my favorite. That's the fridge forage. And like, I think as much, especially as like someone who professionally works in food where I like very much just have to sit down and be like, all right, let's come up with an idea. Come on, brain, work with me today. Those moments honestly bring the best creativity. Like you can, and that just comes with cooking. Like the more you cook, you can do fridge foraging really well. Like, I think it's, if you were a new cook and you're only cooking at fridge foraging, it could get a little dicey, not going to yeah, lie. Definitely. But if you, if you have been cooking a lot and like, you know, cooking a lot from recipes, then you start seeing of like ingredients, like almost as like players when we get into sports analogy of mm. like, okay, you do this job. I need you, but now I need this. That's you. You get off here. You're off the bench. You're in the game. And just like, you can start seeing, like understanding what you need to build a dish and then what in your fridge and your pantry can fulfill those different roles. And now I feel like I almost like want to be like, let's just buy unnecessary groceries just to see what we can come up with. But no, it's it's really we just keep it as a fridge forage um, in the office and just to have like lunch or like we're hungry, what's left over from a shoot, what's left over. I bring my leftovers from dinner to work with me. Um but I like maybe ran out of something like the the beef. Like I had made that for dinner at home, brought it to work just because I'm like, I can have this with something tomorrow. I didn't know what it was going to be, though. Wow. My goodness. Yeah, you're basically creating a food competition show for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Unwarranted. Literally like no one. Keanu. Oh, let's try to challenge myself today. So <laughs> honestly, but- I was just really hungry. But like. Is it, I'm a hungry person who likes good food. And so I'm like, just try to keep things stocked so that are like, once again, just like with flavor, like I can eat things that are like simple, but, and quick to make. Cause I am not a fussy cook. So I just try to give myself the right tools where I can make flavorful food really easily. Oh, I mean, it's, it's really cool. I feel like everybody who, you know, has at least enough expertise to be able to kind of get creative in that way with what you have should definitely give that a go. I feel like it definitely gets like the gears turning and the creativity flowing and you can probably surprise yourself with what you're able to do with, you know, kind of on the fly. And I feel like that makes you a better cook at the end of the day. Oh, a hundred percent. Especially when you're thinking of like trying like something new don't and this is why I also I will be like team cookbook for life because cookbooks give you an added bonus that a standalone recipe can't and that is the that front bit that introduction chapter that talks to you about these ingredients and if it's a well-written book they'll talk to you about those ingredients how it can be used they'll give you their little cheats of like little sauces and that to me is gold because those are the things that you can just fold into what you're already doing you don't need to go learn a whole new way of cooking. You can just see how someone else cooks and be like, wow, that's really cool. And just like, I just try to take one good takeaway. Just one good takeaway that you can like fold into what you're doing on your everyday. And that is, I think, the best way to like evolve as a cook. Because sometimes if you're only just like 
making full dishes every time, it can feel like very overwhelming. And you're like, now I have all this stuff in my pantry that I'm never going to use again. And I think you can kind of like build your way up of like, you know, if you're always going out to a Thai restaurant, what is it that you love about Thai food? Like really, like what is of those tastes that you find yourself ordering on the menu? And then like get that thing in your pantry. You are just chock full of tips today, my friend. You're truly teaching me a lot, which I'm super stoked about. <laughs> well, did you have anything else important to add about your kind of culinary, bringing it back around, culinary inspirations, culinary vibes or cooking or anything that I did not ask you? No, I just, I really just love the time that we're in right now where honestly, and I think people don't understand like the wide, like the bust down opportunity that the internet has brought because even in the most rural small like when when I go visit my family in Kenya almost everyone has a cell phone and so this opportunity of how we're sharing information with each other is so easy and it's so open and I've really been loving learning from these folks and like we, we both work at food media I've you know work for companies ourselves but I really encourage people to like dig deep into, you know, all those, I call them like the aunties of the internet, because there's so many people on their own sharing the way they're cooking in their home. And you'll find like home cooks around the world, you know, especially when it comes to like the people who are really making the household run, have more in common than they have different. And you, I think it's almost like we have a lot to learn from each other that not only, you know, make us more educated and can lower ignorance, but honestly add a lot of value to our lives. You know, I, I think it's great um, to see of like, oh my God, why, how have I gone so many years without knowing that I could do this with my tomatoes? And it's like those aha moments, they're, they're priceless and they're incredibly accessible. They're literally at our fingertips. And so I encourage everyone to get in there and find, you know, find something new, go figure out whatever your favorite food is that you've been cooking. That's always in your grocery list. Go see how someone else is preparing that thing and go give it a try for your dinner this week. Yes. Amen to that. Thank you so much for all of the wise words and amazing tips and tidbits and telling your story. I honestly had, I feel like super, you know, inspired and motivated and like ready to try new things. And I hope anybody listening feels the same way. And I just really appreciate your time, Keanu. Of course. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry now. I, I, yeah, think, me too. Um, <laughs> I think I need to go for a little fridge porridge myself to make some lunch. <laughs> I know, literally. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for listening to learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed. Head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at thefeedfeed. And don't forget to follow our friend at Keanu Moju as well. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that what's for dinner question, we'd love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.